Are you following, trusting, and taken with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Are with yourself? Have you repented? And are you living repentant? Are you living changed? Welcome to this week's episode of the His Hill Podcast. My name is Kelly Darty, and I'm your host. In today's episode, I'll be leading in a devotion from the book of Luke, chapter 5, verses 27 to 28. Jesus has just uh, healed the leper and the paralytic, and now he uh, comes in contact with Levi. And we find this in chapter 5 of Luke and verse 27. I'll be reading verses 27 and 28. It reads like this, After that, he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he, Levi, left everything behind, got up, and began to follow him. Just who was Levi? Well, we know from Matthew chapter 9 that Levi is actually the apostle Matthew. And we see here in Luke that he is, well, simply described as a tax collector. Now, you've probably heard this before, but the tax collectors of the day were not thought of very highly. They actually were uh, considered to be crooked and, th- uh, and that their profession was dishonest and immoral. So apparently they were taking uh, more than what was required by the government to pad their own pockets. And that was, I guess, kind of common thing that was known about them. So this was Levi. He wasn't a very well-liked person and apparently was not a very honest person. But look at what Jesus does with this, with this man. The first thing we see is that in verse 27, that he noticed him. The word noticed is an interesting word here. It means that he was being very attentive in looking at Levi. He looked so closely that he was able to perceive what kind of man he was, just who he was. So apparently Jesus was observing Levi in such a way as to actually know or understand him. So he was really looking deep into him. It makes me think of Hebrews uh, chapter 4, where we find that the Word of God is living and active and able to search the thoughts and intentions, to, to know us down deep, you know, to, to, to really know us. And that's what's happening here. Jesus is looking at Levi, and he knows him perceives him now this is this is a common theme throughout scripture we see in uh, john chapter 1 verse 45 we uh, starting in verse 45 we read this philip found nathaniel and said to him we have found him of whom moses in the law and also the prophets wrote jesus of nazareth the son of joseph well nathaniel said to him can any good thing come out of nazareth Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And then in verse 48, Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. So Jesus, is, Jesus knows us. He perceives us. Uh, in uh, Luke, in chapter 8, verse 43 to 47, we read this. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. And immediately, 
her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, Who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowded and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out of me. Now listen to this. When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. Jesus, we find throughout Scripture, Jesus knows us. He notices us. He perceives us. He knows what's going on in our hearts. He knows what's going on in our lives. You know, are we convinced of this? Do we recognize this, that Jesus recognizes us, that he perceives us, that he notices us? I was once once having lunch with a friend of mine, and let me give you a little bit of background on him. Uh, He was not well-educated. He lacked social skills, and he was poorly groomed. This was just who he was. I'm sitting there having lunch with him one day, and he starts to talk to me. He starts to really tell me what's going on in his life and how it has become very difficult for he and his wife financially. He told me about how his wife was really struggling over this and was panicking, was nervous, was, was just eaten up and consumed by it. And then my friend told me that he looked at his wife and he told her, the Lord has always taken care of us. He is faithful. He will not abandon us now. He will not let us down. And I got to tell you, I sat there listening to him convicted because I had looked at him as being someone who was not well-educated, who lacked social skills, and who was poorly groomed. And I didn't think beyond that. But he showed me there was much more. You know, I wonder how many people we have not noticed, how many people we have overlooked, that we have sold short. Not at all what would be true of Christ and how he perceives all of us. And then with that, I wonder if the person that we've sold short is ourself. That we actually think of ourselves as not being at the right level that we need to be in order to be perceived by Jesus. Well, Jesus does notice us. He perceives you. And what did Jesus have to say to this tax collector? In verse 27, he says this, follow me. I think that's interesting, don't you? His first words weren't, hey, listen, stop doing this and stop doing that. His first words weren't, you need to be like this and you need to look like that. What was his first words to him? Follow me. That's, that's powerful. That, that, that speaks to my heart. This is what Jesus is concerned with. We were made for this. Folks, we were made for this kind of fellowship with the Lord. In Genesis 3, verse 8, we read this. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, 
in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. You know, I often come back to this verse. It, it, it's an incredible picture of what we, and I think it was something that was literal that was going on too, That, but, but, but it pictures for us this relationship that we were created for. They recognized the sound of God walking in the garden. You don't recognize something unless you've experienced it before. They've heard this sound before. They have known what it was what it was to walk with God in the cool of the day. They were created for this. This is what mankind was made for, being created in God's very image, to know him and fellowship with him. I mean, think about it. What is more intimate? You know, this is something that we can share with each other. Mankind can share with anyone to go for a walk. And when you go for a walk, you start to talk. And when you start to talk, you start to reveal who you are. And the person listening starts to hear that. And the same as they start to talk and you start to hear. It's an incredibly intimate thing to share this time with each other, to just go for a walk. And this is what man was made for. We were made for this and being created in the image of God. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, we find that the Lord still wants this. He still wants us to know this. As we read this again in Ephesians 4, 1, Therefore I, Paul says, the prisoner of the Lord, employ you. I'm begging you. I, I want you to hear this, he says. And what is it? Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Again, we find the idea of walking and in this particular instance, the word walk can also be translated and has been in, other part of, in another part of Scripture as being thus occupied. So then we would read it this way, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to be occupied with the manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. To be occupied with this. You know, just today I came into the house and we have this little Westie, little dog. And, uh, you know, he's full of energy and he's always wanting to play. And boy, as soon as he sees his ball, he's ready. And he often brings the ball to you. Well, today I picked up the ball. Oh, he was excited. We went to the hallway. He knows the routine. I'm about to throw the ball. I had something special planned this time that he didn't know about. I threw the ball down the hall. And as he's running down the hall to get the ball, I reached over and grabbed his second ball. And when he comes back to me, I showed him the second one, and I, th I had him drop the first one, and I threw the second one, and he took off for it. And he comes back and drops it, and I threw the first one again. He comes back, drops it, and I threw the second one again. And we kept doing this over and over and over again, over again. And he just enjoyed it. You know, he, he was loving it and just eating it up. Well, then I looked over, and uh, my wife, Arlene, and my daughters, Lauren and Madeline, were playing the piano and were singing. So I got up to go over with them, and I start to sing along with them. And after a while, I looked down, and I had, see, I had just walk and walked away from the dog. And I looked down, and he had followed me, and he had placed both balls at my feet. Now, I call that being occupied with those balls and wanting me to join in with him. This is the idea of walking in a manner worthy of the calling, of being occupied with the life of Christ, with Jesus himself, with that being occupied within that relationship we were made for. In John chapter 8, in verse 31, we read this, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, 
If you, now catch this, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. If you stay there, abide in my word, if you're with me, then you'll, you are truly disciples of mine. And then the verse says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. You see, that, that verse, it's verse 32 of John chapter 8. And you will know the truth, and truth will make you free. That is probably one of the best-known verses in the world. Most people don't know that it comes from the Bible. And if they do, they don't get the context. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. I have a dear friend who, uh, had, who, who was in a marriage that fell apart. And there was, there just was, was no reconciliation. There was no, there was no way either side could see that this could be restored. And I called him up to talk with him about it. And I said, brother, you know what's true. And his response to me just really staggered me because I had known him to be a very solid believer. But his response to me saying, you know what is true was this. How do I know what's true? I couldn't believe I heard this from someone who had displayed such maturity as a believer. How do I know what's true? You know, this verse, you will know the truth, the truth will make you free within the context we find in the first verse that Jesus was saying to the Jews who believed in him, if you continue in my word, if you abide with me, if you're with me, if you're walking with me, if you're following me, then you're truly disciples of mine. And you see, it's within that relationship that we were made for, that we know the truth that makes us free. And then in John chapter 15 and verse 5, we read this, I am the true vine, you are my branches. He who abides, he who remains, he who stays, he who follows me. And I in him. He bears much fruit, for apart from me, not following him, apart from me, not being with him, apart from me, you can do. The Bible actually says what you can do. You can do nothing. So Jesus is saying to, to Levi, follow me. He sees him, he perceives him. He knows him to be a man who's involved in what is immoral and what is uh, crooked, and he says to him, follow me. This is the norm for Jesus. We see in verse 32 of our text, Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He, he wants us to follow him. He wants us to be with him. This is the norm. He wants us to be with him, not for the sake of just making us better, but for changing us. Because again, in verse 32, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That word repentance, it means to change the way of life. It's a complete change of thought, actions, attitude, of who we are. Come and follow me. Come be with me. I'm calling you to repentance. I'm calling you to a change. 
Patrick Morley, in his book, I Surrender, he makes this observation that there are those who profess to being believers in Christ who think that we can add Christ to our lives but not subtract sin. It is a change in belief, he says, without a change in behavior, which I would say is not a change in belief in Jesus Christ. Marley goes on to say he, uh, that it is a revival without reformation. I would say that's not a revival. He says it's a revival without repentance. And I would say that's not a revival. That's not a change. Uh, his ministry is not one calling us to be better, but one by which he is calling us to repentance, calling us to change. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. A changed life. That's why we that's why Paul says in Galatians 2:20, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. It's a changed life. So how does Levi respond to this invitation? Well, in verse 28 again, we see he left everything behind and he got up and began to follow him. So his response is what? Leaving everything behind. Look, there's a cost to belonging to Jesus. And I understand that, you know, we, it, it's our nature in the flesh to, to you know, to, to automatically look for the, the easy way to be a believer, for the easy way to, uh, to, to, to witness to society. But <laughs> that's not, that's not our goal. A changed life is one that comes from a sacrificed life. And the idea of sacrifice in Scripture, as we look at the old sacrificial system, we look at how the, the, you know, the, the, the heart and the attitude of the early church in the New Testament, we see that sacrifice is costly, not convenient. It costs. And so we see here the same. If Levi is going to live repentant, if he's going to live changed, if he's going to be in fellowship with Jesus, if he's going to follow him, then it's going to cost him. And what did it cost him? Well, it cost him everything. He left everything behind. It reminds me of Luke chapter 14 and verse 33. So then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. To give up, the Amplified says that you know th th this is the idea of forsaking, renouncing, surrender, claim to, give up, say goodbye to, give up. How often do we live depending upon our own abilities, our own understanding, our own reasoning? This is not the life of a believer. This is the life that the unbeliever has. And we've been changed if we have placed our faith in Christ. So we have no business living the same way, with the same understanding, 
dependent upon the same abilities that the unbeliever does. Leaving everything behind for what purpose? Well, we come back to this. In verse 28, he left everything behind to follow him. So you see, we give up everything that we may gain unmeasurably. Isn't that incredible? Listen to these these verses. Philippians 3, verses 7 to 11. But what, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. So I don't want you to misunderstand me. To give up all is not a painless thing. Sacrifice is not easy. It is not painless. But he says, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. And that means derived from the things that I can do but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So what we give up? Everything. That we may gain what is unmeasurable. Colossians 2, 9 and 10, for in him, for in Christ, all the fullness of deity, all the fullness of God dwells in bodily form. And in him, in Christ, you have been made complete, unmeasurable gain. And he is the head of all rule and authority. Unmeasurable gain. Now, this truth of of following him, being with him. This truth of repentance is not just for the lost, but it's for the saved as well. In Colossians 2, verse 6, we read this. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So we continue on with this. We continue on in this life that we have entered into. We continue on fellowshipping with Jesus. We continue on being with him, living in dependence upon him. We continue on giving up and by his doing, gaining all. Who are you following? Who are you trusting? Who are you taken with? Are you following, trusting, and taken with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Are with yourself? Have you repented? And are you living repentant? Are you living changed? The change comes from being with Jesus, following Him by faith, following Him who is the changer. Thanks for listening. And remember, 
Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Our Bible school year is in the final stretch as yesterday we rounded the bend and hit the one month mark until the semester comes to a close and camp begins. We have had such a beautiful year and we are so thankful for the time we have left with this student body. Please pray for the hearts of the students as they prepare for life after Bible school and that they would leave here knowing that our faithful God goes with them and that the God of His Hill is the God of Texas, Albania, Kansas, BC, and everywhere else in between. Thank you again for tuning into the His Hill podcast. You've been listening to our host, Kelly Doherty, and his devotional on Luke chapter 5. Be encouraged, alumni. He is for you. Remember to keep your eyes fixed on Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm Lizzie. See you next week.